Now, I woke up early one morning in December and I had an image in front of my eyes and it was the name of our church. Totnes United Free. Now, the words kept coming out at me, jumping out individually at me, again and again. Totnes, united, free. Totnes, united, free. Totnes, united, free, united, free. And in the end, I said, Lord, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? Now, the words that came back to me were these. Let 2019 be the year we live up to our name. United and free. Let 2019 be the year we live up to our name, united and free. So this morning I just want to unpack that and look at what it might mean to be united and to be free. And then how we can find ways to apply as we move forward into the year. So that we can aim to be more united and freer perhaps than we are now. So let's just pray for a moment. <coughs> Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Lord, I ask that as we open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, that you'll cause something to jump out for each one of us. Just one thing that we could choose to do this year to help us become more united and also just one area of our lives that you want to reach into so that we can experience more of your freedom. Lord, we open our hearts to you now. Amen. Amen. I also believe that the Lord's going to give some people here words of knowledge this morning. I'm believing for some pictures and verses and make space to bring those later. So maybe things that God wants to say to people, so listen out to the Lord for yourself and for others. Okay, so it's two parts. Let's look at unity first. The dictionary definition says this. It says, the state of being one or united, oneness, singleness, something complete in itself, a single separate thing. And the bit I like best here the quality of being one in spirit, sentiment, purpose, harmony, agreement, concord, and uniformity. Quality of being one in spirit, I like that. Now when we're looking at anything, it's always good to start with Jesus and to look at Jesus first. It's always a good place to start. And in John 17, he prayed a prayer for us, his followers. And part of that prayer speaks about unity. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity and then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
Okay, so we know that Jesus prays for us to be united, to be one, but what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? Well, it's not all about being the same. It's not like acting and thinking alike as if we're clones. Because God made us all uniquely individual with different personalities. But we see the word united here and there in scripture. One place we see it is in relation to marriage where it says about um, if a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two become one flesh. But to be united means a committed relationship. A joining together as believers called to be family. <coughs> okay, family, big, big area. Families do disagree. Families don't get it right. Families do hurt each other sometimes. But overall, there's a loving commitment in a family to stand strong together, for us to stand strong together as one body in Christ. So we can look at Jesus. We can also look at the early church. How did they do it? If we look at Acts chapter 2, it says there they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It must have been a phenomenal community to be in. It must have just blown your socks off. No one was without anything. They all met each other's needs and it was said of them, look how they love each other. Wouldn't it be great if people here in Tottenham said that about them, us lot here? Those people in that place said, look how they love each other. Basically, they did life together. So what does that look like for us here? So I just want to look at a few practical ways. There's probably thousands of practical ways. But maybe we can each just say, Lord, what is it you want me to do this year so I can be more united with my brothers and sisters here? Okay, so here's some ideas. Scripture says, first of all, don't neglect meeting together. So maybe make it your aim, perhaps if you don't come that regularly, to come along, to join together, to worship here regularly. Maybe join in a group or an activity here that you've not been involved in before. I know that at the beginning of the year, Pete and I will always diary in every church meeting, um, just to try and make a priority in our calendar because we know the importance of building and maintaining that relationship. We know it brings benefits both to ourselves and to other people. <coughs> Missional communities, small groups, are you in one? If not, maybe join one. Ask aid about it. It grows family, it grows unity, a sense of belonging and sharing in a smaller group. It's really vital. How about praying with each other? Can this be the year maybe you need to pray with your spouse more regularly? I don't know about everybody here. Some people find it easy, some people don't. Um, I was very impressed when I was reading John Phipps's um, memoirs, how when he first dated the young Margaret, took her out in the car, 
one of the first things that's ever going by. She said, could you just pull in here? I expect as a young man, he thought, this looks quite like <laughs> <laughs> This dear young woman of God said, I think it'd be good if we prayed. <laughs> Which actually shocked him, because I don't think he, you were in that place, were you really, John, at the time? <laughs> nice one, Margaret, go for it. If you've, got, if you've got a relationship going on, pray together. We found it really hard the first year we were married. Um, those of you who know us know our history, but some don't. We, a second marriage, we've got a big joined up family. And we found it first incredibly hard to find some time to pray together, and we really needed to. Um, we were both working full time. Um, I was, had taken on two of Pete's teenage boys that he was bringing up on his own, having already brought three of my own up. Um, mad I was. <laughs> we had a home to run and it was a new joined up family and we couldn't find any time to pray together in all of that the only time we managed was at that particular time was to prayer walk we'd go down, we live near the beach we'd walk down to the beach in the evening and we'd make a regular thing of it and then we'd pray we'd moan sometimes and we'd groan and we'd argue but we'd pray um, and that got us through there's different seasons in your lives. There's, there's times, but you need to find somewhere to do it. It's important for strengthening your relationship. Maybe find a prayer partner, somebody to pray with on a regular basis. Um, pray over lunch with them, have a coffee with them, go for a walk with them, have a pint with them. Um, it's a great thing to share and pray together, have someone you know who's got your back there. I meet regularly, my prayer partner here is Rachel, Rachel LaRue. And it actually works quite well because in fact Pete, his prayer partner is Jean LaRue. <laughs> so we don't always meet up together but occasionally we will and we'll meet early morning. We'll either go over to Torquay where they live and we'll go to Anstey's Cove and have a nice breakfast overlooking the sea and then we go off in our pairs and pray. Well, they come over to us, and we're near Broadsands. We go down to Broadsands Bistro, and we have breakfast, and then we go off each end of the beach or the cliffs, and we have a pray. How about a prayer triplet? Those of you who look back to Billy Graham's days will remember prayer triplets. Three of you pray for people. Maybe come to a prayer group, to women's scripture, to men's prayer group. I really, I just want to highlight somebody here. Um, probably going to embarrass somebody here. There's somebody who does this so well at the moment, and that's Humphrey. Humphrey, bless him at the moment, just appears very quietly and lovingly to be joining men together in the church. Meeting up for coffee, they're even talking, I think, about breakfast and speakers maybe sometime. Um, he hunts people out, and he, he just welcomes them and includes them. And there's a lot of strength in that. Keep it up, Humphrey. Thank you. Um, how about getting involved in one of the activities there are here? There's loads of stuff going on here. Um, maybe try some of Phil's Dartmoor walks he does. On, on a Saturday morning, there's a running group. Um, um, there's Ale to the King for the men, organised by Matt. And there's a Halo event for the women. Um, we've had some fun times, us women, over the past year. Um, enjoying evenings, sharing food, chatting, um, 
we've done clothes swapping things, we've had pampering sessions, we've done all sorts of stuff. Um, it's great fun and it helps you get to know people that you might not meet in any other group because you don't, you don't cross for some reason there. Um, Amy, I know, did a, a lovely morning prior to Christmas where you could come and make wreaths and table decorations and you know, it's a one-off thing but there's, there's lots of, of, of things going on. Maybe perhaps this year make an effort to chat to somebody who's perhaps in a slightly different age group to you. We tend to go to our own age groups a little bit. Um, so, you know, the teens stay together and the young adults. And there's reasons why, it's obvious, you know, the young families, the, the older people, retired people. But we are family. So, you know, in your normal family, your home family, your physical family, you, you talk to people of different generations. So maybe if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, choose to have a chat, make a beeline for somebody in their 20s, 30s, 40s and, and chat. Um, maybe perhaps offer to help out in the Sunday Kids Club. Um, there was a call a while back, there's short of people um, asking people perhaps to commit to help. Now Pete and I didn't actually specifically feel it was our ministry, we thought we'll help out. We'll say we'll do one, one a term each. And you know, it's been a real blessing because I've got to know some of the kids in Kids Zone B that, that I work in. Um, and it means that when you see them in church, you can say hello to them. You've got to know them. Um, it's really good to be across the, the generations like that. So if that's something you want to be involved in, come and see Mary. I'm sure there, there are often gaps, aren't there, Mary? Lots, Mary said, lots. So like the early church, we unite and get more united with one another when we are preferring each other's needs, helping each other out, sharing our skills, DIY tasks, gardening. When Pete was fitting our kitchen, dear Morris came over, helped him out for a morning. We don't ever forget that. When we were moving house and we'd hired a van to do it in, um, dear Den came, carried all our boxes for us gave us a day. I could go on and on. When I was really poorly, once Fee came in and cleaned my house for me. She's like a whirly dervish with a cloth in her hand, there's no stopping her, which is amazing. Um, how about having somebody around for a meal? Now, I know that there are some wonderful cooks in this place, like Margaret Phipps and Liz Flint and Polly. And it's lovely if you get an invite to them. <laughs> Places of the good cooks. But hospitality is not about being a good cook. That's not what it's about. When I was worshipping in Norfolk, where I had come from before I was here, um, there was a couple there who, every week, they used to make an effort to have the visitors around here with university students. Um, we had University of East Anglia, UEA it's called, uh, in Norwich. And a lot of the students would come to the church I was at. This couple had their own kids who were away at university, I don't know, Durham or somewhere up north. And they used to think, well, we're going to invite these and hope, Lord, that you'll be sending loving people to invite our kids for a meal. Now, they did this for years. Every Sunday they'd be taking somebody home. Um, they said in all the time they did it, they only ever had one invite back. And that invite was from a young male student who was in residences. And he had them back, 
They sat on his bed, because there weren't chairs, while he went along to the little communal kitchen down the hall and made them beans on toast and brought it back. And the woman said, she was in tears, absolute tears, she said. And it was one of the nicest meals we've ever had. We often talk about it. It's not about being able to cook. It's not about, you know, so much dining stuff on the telly nowadays and their cooking programs and stuff. Um, it's not about that. If you can do that, it's great. If you can, invite me. I'm happy to come. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus shared meals with his friends. We read about it all the time. So share meals with each other. If it's not at home, in cafes, in the pub, in, have a picnic, whatever. But share those, that food time together because sharing food together is a, is a big thing. It's really, really helps. Look out for opportunities. But also, let's ask Jesus to shine his light in our hearts and show us if we are united in Christ's love here with our brothers and sisters, or if we've got issues, have I got issues that might damage unity? Okay, yeah, we don't always agree with each other. We do hurt each other. We may have judged each other. But Christ has forgiven us so much, each one of us, that we have to choose to forgive those with whom we disagree, or who behave badly, or who hurt us. And it's only as each one of us individually lay down those grievances and those hurts, our unforgiveness, our gossip, our malicious talk, our moans and groans, and actually choose to love each other by encouraging each other, praying with each other, meeting together and doing life together. Choosing to see the best, choosing to see Jesus in each other, that we're going to be more united this year. It's not easy, because someone will step on your toes, I can guarantee it. It's what you do with it when that happens that's important. So if we feel negative or we feel cross about stuff, why the heck did the leadership do that before? What were they thinking of? You know, maybe it's just me, but I'm sure that others, <coughs> if you're honest with yourselves, you know, we'll have had our moans and groans about stuff. Now, if we feel negative or cross about things, and we're about to share it, because that's what you want to do. You want to go up to somebody and say, do you know what? So and so, so, you know, before we get to that negative point, we need to ask ourselves three questions. We found, Pete and I found this really helpful, haven't we, love? The three questions we ask ourselves is, is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? And if it don't meet those three criteria, don't say it. On occasions, also, when we found ourselves, or I found myself perhaps wanting to have a moan about something, I stop myself now, I say, right, I'm going to think three positive things about that situation or that person, and I'm going to pray about it, or them. And you know, by the time I've done that, I've forgotten the negative stuff. It's gone. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not that important. 
So we need to choose not to gossip, not to moan or grumble, like the Israelites moaned in the desert when they got rescued from Egypt and got so gloriously saved. And we really want to be more united. Why? Why do we really want to be united? If you have a look at Psalm 133, it says here, that's where God commands the blessing. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And I reckon we all want God's blessing. So it's worth working at being more united. Okay, that's unity. Secondly, I just want to look at the word free. It was Totnes United free kept coming out at me. Are we free? Even if we don't feel it, it's truth. There is total freedom in Christ. I repeat, there is total freedom in Christ because he won it for us on the cross. It's a done deal. And there are numerous references in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, In the Old Testament, it relates so often to the Israelites and their captivity and their freedom and their journey to the Promised Land. And all of that points and points to Jesus and and his sacrifice for us. So, God designed you, okay? He is the grand designer. We watch some of those grand design programs on the telly of houses and sometimes we think, oh, it's quite nice, but not really a grand design. But God has a grand design for your life. It says in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. But we have to remember when we get saved, we are in a spiritual battle. Um, And in John 10.10 it says that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it in all its fullness, but that the enemy comes, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And there's this battle going on. And one way he tries to do this is to keep us in chains. So sometimes we feel like we are trying to move forward in our walk with God, in, in, our, in our growing spiritually, and every time we seem to get somewhere, we seem to get dragged back again to the same old dark stuff. Um, it's like you're trying to walk forward, but you're on a chain, and eventually you get yanked back. Now, the Psalms are full of references to being set free. In Isaiah the 61, which you're probably all familiar with, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for prisoners. And in the New Testament we read, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He died to set us free from sin. In Corinthians it says, if anyone's a new creation, if anyone's in Christ, he he is a new creation. The new has come, the old has gone. And the moment that we accept Christ, we are set free from all the things that bind us. We are a new creation. 
He doesn't just patch us up and, and give us a new heart. The truth is, it's done, it's complete. Scripture says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And also it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Yet, I think if we're honest, we can all say we carry around baggage from our previous life. Um, for each of us that will be many different things. Um, ideas, thoughts, feelings, insecurities, addictions, hurts from our past, guilt, bad attitudes, fears, could go on and on. There's, there's mountains of stuff that, that this could be. But briefly, the question we want to ask ourselves this morning is, how can I be freer in 2019 than I am right now? We need to recognise the places where we're not yet truly free. Now we've all got these areas, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight them. We might be in bondage to obvious things that grip us. Might be things like bad stuff we've been involved in in the past. Things other people have done to us. The result of our own poor choices. If God showed us everything all at once, we'd probably run off in the opposite direction. But he graciously highlights just one thing at a time in our lives. As we open up to him and surrender to him, he deals with one thing. It may be we need more freedom from fear to move in our spiritual giftings this year. Are you using the spiritual gifts that God's given you? If you pray in tongues, when did you last pray in tongues? Do you prophesy? When did you last exercise that gift? <coughs> Are you an encourager? When did you last encourage someone? We are exhorted in scripture, it says, to stir up the gifts within us. It won't just happen. And we don't want to be like children at Christmas that have too many presents and just toss them aside. It might be bondages that we're well aware of, like addictive behaviours that control us, and we just don't want them to, but they just keep controlling us. Might be alcohol, gambling, might be food issues, sex, porn, could be 101 different things. We could be in bondage to things like jealousy, or selfishness, or anger that runs in our lives. There might be things that we've been involved in, like occultic stuff, Things like witchcraft, tarot, horoscopes, fortune telling, black arts, so this goes on and on and on of the dark stuff you can get into. Maybe we've been damaged by our upbringing, absent parents, poor parenting. Maybe horrendous things have happened to us that control our behaviours now. Maybe we're crippled by fear or unforgiveness. Don't know how often you hear people say, I can never forgive so-and-so of this situation. Let's ask God to pinpoint just one area for this year so that we can be freer in it. Now, it takes great honesty and courage to look deep in your heart at the things that control us, but 
The subject of being set free is absolutely vast and I can't possibly cover it here, it's huge. But briefly, how can I get freer? How do I do that? You know, we perhaps know these things have hold on us, but we don't know how to do it. And I've heard it said that we are saved completely, all in a moment. That moment when we ask Jesus into our lives, we are completely and utterly saved. It's a done deal, it's happened. But that it also takes a lifetime to walk more and more free. And sometimes there can be people who have been Christians for years and years and years, but you just get stuck up and continue to get tripped up by the same old stuff. It's a bit like always sweeping the rubbish under the carpet. Eventually you're going to fall over the, the rug, aren't you? Flat on your face. So the truth is, we have to stick by the truth. The truth is there is freedom in Christ. Now a few years back, Pete and I attended a, a week-long residential course along with others from Tuff here, it was called Living in Freedom. And it covered this subject in depth. Now, it would be impossible to cover such a wide subject here, but I just want to bring it down just a little bit and use just a little bit of it. They use something called the five R's. Um, and it's when you're looking at things that are holding you. It's recognise, repent, renounce and realign, rebuke and replace. Now this was a system they used to help you to break through from things that were holding you. Now to help us see what this might look like in practice, I'm going to use a strong chain that bound me for years as an example, just to show you how this thing could work, how this outline helped me work my way through. Um, the chain I'm going to talk about is um, rejection. Rejection. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and give a testimony because it's not what I'm doing at the moment. But very, very briefly, just to put you in the picture, I suffered rejection repeatedly in my life until I came to know Jesus. I wasn't accepted well as a baby by my parents. Um, they wanted a boy and I was going to be called Paul. I had an emotionally absent dad but one who would continually tell me I was worthless. I was rejected by a mum who left me when I was seven years old, left the family home. Um, and this damaged upbringing led me in adulthood to make very damaging choices in all my relationships, resulting in more and more rejection and deeper and deeper wounds. Now when I came to faith, I knew in my head the truth of what Jesus said about me when I got saved. But it never felt like the truth. The rejection was so deep embedded from childhood and then reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. So just to use this, I want to show you basically how I would have got through that. So the first R is recognise. Firstly, recognise the access points, the things where the bondages and things have got in that are holding you. They may include things like generational sins, the sins of your fathers, grandparents, your unmet love needs, injustices, word curses, soul ties, unconfessed, unrepented <coughs> sin. The Holy Spirit desires to reveal the strongholds so he can demolish them and set us free from them. So I had to recognise the access points for rejection. Yes, there was generational sin 
there was unmet love needs, there were injustices, there's a lot of stuff going on. And secondly, the second R was repent. Now it might sound odd when you perhaps look at somebody in my position that I've just talked about, why I would have to say sorry. But actually, you might need to forgive and bless those who have sinned against you and bring your own sin to the cross. Now, I needed to repent because I had believed the lies rather than believing the truth of what Jesus said about me. And I also had to forgive and bless my parents and others to receive that forgiveness. Thirdly, renouncing and realigning. So it's making a decision to turn towards the truth and to, to pray. It might need serious prayer to do this and consideration because you don't always know what true looks like. Your centre is off. I had to find out what the truth looked like and turn towards it. And it wasn't a one prayer done job, believe me. It went on for a while. And then fourthly, rebuking, exercising your authority in Christ over the specific work of the enemy you're dealing with. So I had to rebuke the work of the enemy in my life. It's a lie. So I'm not going to accept this anymore. This is not true. And I needed other people to stand with me and do this. And finally, replace. So I had to replace old thoughts and patterns of behaviour with the biblical truth and obedience. Learn specific scriptures to root your mind in the truth and live daily in the opposite spirit to your own sinful ways. Not focusing on your emotions as that barometer of, free of freedom, but replacing all that old imagery in your imagination with holy and pure life-giving words of God. So for me, how I did that was I found all the scriptures I could, and there's hundreds of them, affirming who I was in Jesus, like I am the apple of God's eye. I'm chosen. I'm a child of God. I'm beloved. And I wrote them on post-it notes. I stuck them all over my house. Stuck them in cupboards where the tea bags were, on the bathroom, mirror, all over the place, on screensavers, everything. I'd read them out loud every time I saw them. And eventually, I began to learn the truth until the truth became more real to me than the lies. And so also to walk into freedom, it has to be lived out in honest and accountable relationships with other believers. You need others to stand with you. So, you know, if you've got big issues, you need to speak to your, your group leaders or to aid. They'll guide you in the right direction, point you to get the help. So what we need to do is that 2019 needs to be the year that each one of us asks Jesus to shed his light deep in our hearts and show us another area that we need to address. So the question is really, what one thing can I do to become more united with my family this year at Tough? And which area do I want to experience more freedom in this year? Let's just pray. Lord, may 2019 be the year that we, as your family, a body of believers here, are truly united and free. Help us, Lord, to leave the judgments to you. That's your job, not ours. And let us do what you command, to love one another. 
Lord, please highlight <coughs> those hidden chains that bind and control us deep within, that we might enjoy more freedom in you this year. Lord, we are a motley crew, yet you've put us here together, and you call us to live as your kingdom kids in this place. So come, Holy Spirit, do your work in my life, in our lives this year, that we might truly be in Totnes, united and free. Amen.